I was just thinking now that this is one of the first times where like brown people have outnumbered white people in this studio. Right. And I was just realizing when I was walking through Watney Market that David Vance was right all along. Uh, and we, we know what he did today, right? Like he went through I'm I was I'm a hundred percent convinced that it was Watney Market, but I It looks know. like it. Yeah, but he went through like a very kind of like some people were saying it's Edgeware Road, but he basically he did one of those things that right wingers do where they go through Edgeware Road and they're like, There's so many people who are brown here. It's not like England anymore. And I responded to him by saying, well, you know, we do, there is a wimpy burger. So mm. that is like, <laughs> it, not, not, all, not all has been lost. Just not yet. the correct response. Mm. The correct response when David Vance <laughs> does one of his classic, um, uh, there are brown people here, shockumentaries, is to just say, damn, David, turn on that front facing camera. We want to see that chin, dog. <laughs> I think Yo, he blocked me-, me for sending him a, a zoomed in picture of his own profile with the Yo. like cleft in his chin. Yo, let me, let me fucking get lost in that chin, dude. <laughs> when daddy just wraps you up in his big strong chin uh yeah he's like honestly honestly he's like hot michael douglas and he's like a dime though we love to look at him Mm. i just i think i just i just want david vance to come and well that's it but i just (laughs) want like david vance to come into the studio and i just want to hear all of his stories about how like ireland irish people are better used as like a green energy source and how like England should conquer the world before it like becomes Muslim and just like and you know just everything about all of his posts about like beautiful castles when he says ah the sunrise just like I want to hear everything he has to say about everything and just touch his chin. I didn't even know he did that. So you've been paying way more attention to his posts. Yeah, he's, he's, love, he's totally love, into the Western him. architecture thing. Like he'll retweet those like European beauty accounts and shit. You know, it's Dave, great. Dave, David Vance needs to become a trad wife. <laughs> no, he needs to retweet the Odinist girl with like the runes drawn all over her face and like uh, eyeliner. No, no, he needs to. He David Vance needs to needs to retweet the Odin girl with the runes drawn all over her face by being like, "You're wearing too much makeup. A man will never take you like that." <laughs> yeah, oh. you're just naturally prissy. The runes you have on at the moment are fine. <laughs> So this is Trash Future again, that podcast that you're listening to. Welcome to the freaking bonus zone. Uh, all of you who are who are communicating your higher social status through the conspicuous consumption of premium podcast episodes. I expect if you're sitting on some form of public transit right now, you should look to the person to your left and right and then just show them that you're on the premium feed. <laughs> Thorstein Riley. <laughs> I'm here in studio with Hussein, who is riding the boards while Nate is getting uh, his tooth operation. Oh, yeah, because he's like, he's missing a tooth. I, f- I keep forgetting he's missing a tooth. Yeah, he's Old Town um, Road now. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, but, Old Town Chode, in my opinion. Um, so uh. prayers, to, prayers to him on his operation. Uh, so I'm filling in for him. It's Hussein. Uh, I'm not on the boards regularly. This is, I feel like I'm in the Matrix and it's very relevant now because there's a sequel that's coming out, right? Indeed. And mm-hmm. a completely unnecessary sequel. Maybe, ruins oh. the entire thing. No, but, but we, I want a sequel about off. the albino dreadlocks twins. <laughs> I want Neo and Neo and Trinity the most are, in the important first, characters, yeah. are in the first 20 seconds of the movie. They get crushed by a falling train car. Then it's just about the albino dreadlocks twins finding love <laughs> in the big city. Style inspirations. 
<laughs> Honestly, we st- we we love we stand the the beautiful uh, the beautiful alabaster dreadlocks kings, the albino dreadlocks twins. That's, the what, that's what David Vance would look like under luxury <laughs> communism. <laughs> no, that's what David Vance looks like when he's in the Matrix. Is he's the albino <laughs> the albino yeah. dreadlocks twins? Um, we also have, of course, Alice on the phone in Glasgow. Hey, how's it going? Glasgow is awful still. Uh, that was the uh, Glasgow corner. Uh, yeah, for this I'm just going to insult my home city every time I'm on now when I can't think of something better. Alice is trying to fuck Glasgow. <laughs> yeah, that's that neg. Yeah, trying yeah. to <laughs> miss me with that neg shit. <laughs> um, and we are also joined uh, by Kieran Yates. Kieran, welcome onto the show. Oh, thanks for having me. London's also shit. Yes. <laughs> uh, I miss it march though. On. Yeah, no, like, what do you miss about it? Oh, everything. Like, there's people. Glasgow has four people, and the, it's, like, <laughs> it's like an N64 game. The faces start repeating. It has four, it uh, has four people. They all glitch through walls. All, exactly. They're just, and and they always drop the same loot, which is just um, canisters of NOS. Yeah, if you live in canisters. Glasgow, your head is just one polygon, and it's just kind of shaped like a very badly peeled potato. I mean, not that kind of Scott. <laughs> I mean, that is, yeah, that is how someone described it to me when we were when we were in Edinburgh. The other oh week. well, yeah. So, uh, yeah, like everyone's in Edinburgh and Scotland now, isn't it? So, mm. Yeah. Is it just you in Glasgow? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> I had the place to myself. Like- it's like the Omega Man. Uh, I'm recording this from on top of like a parked car in a sea of traffic. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really great. Al- Alice is speeding through the ruins of Glasgow, yeah, right. hunting, <laughs> hunting a, a deer that's g- gotten into the Buckfast and has gone crazy. <laughs> Um, so, Kieran is a journalist covering the intersection of technology, race, and things of that nature. You can follow her at Kieran Yates on Twitter. Link will be in the show notes. But, mm-hmm. everybody, I have the most high-energy startup we've ever done on the podcast before for your oh. listening pleasure. Very Are excited. we ready? Yep. Okay. Is it cocaine-related? <laughs> I'm not you said saying- high-energy. I mean- I'm not saying that it is the result of two people doing cocaine, <laughs> but once I tell you- no, then no, no. Be I, like, I think I, I think it must be the product, though. I think it's like somebody is feeding cocaine to eels in the Thames, like we uh-huh. read about, and is uh-huh. making that a business. Uh huh. Well, I mean, the eels now have all the business ideas, but no. Okay, here's the startup's name: Rent the Backyard. <laughs> Rent the Backyard. Okay. Yes. Oh. Is it is it literally for- like what it says on the tin? I.e., it's a service where people can actually rent out their backyards. Yeah, Airbnb yard. <laughs> right. If you can't afford to actually live in the house, you can at least live in a tent in the backyard. So it is like snorting coke up each other's buttholes. That's a lot that. like that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Cool. I've got it. I've got it. So it is actually what I said, but it's a service exclusively designed for wives, boyfriends or husbands who have been it's in that period between mm-hmm. like when you've just been divorced oh, oh yeah, yeah. Wait, where, the, where she's more pissed off at you than you sleep on the couch but you sleep in a tent outside yeah yeah it's like a camping trip for grown men awesome <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> rent the backyard isn't in, here's from their ad copy uh, because like there's not the, i mean the, there's not a lot of guessing to be left by the title of rent the backyard ordinarily listeners to this show know i'll be like Here's a, a, lo- a yeah, line where it, I've blanked out a word where it's like, we're revolutionizing it's delivery of blank. Zorbler or something. Yeah, like, where it's completely incomprehensible. Th- th- this should this be called a like, yarderizer. But well, like, this is about like a dystopian future where we have no green grass, oh, like nothing, right? Yeah. 
This is a real a real startup, unfortunately. Oh shit! Right. So this is the beginning of the end. Um, right. Rent the backyard. Rent the backyard. I can only read it like that. Yeah. Is an entirely new ma- way to make money from your backyard. <laughs> what previous ways were there to make money from your backyard? I don't know. Growing I mean, coca leaves. From, unless we take backyard as a euphemism, in which case, way ahead of you. But. It's, like, it's like one of those ghoulish startups where they try to buy up every like little young girl's lemonade stand. Yeah, it's sort of. No. Rent the backyard. We'll build a four hundred to eight hundred square foot apartment in your backyard, and what? then split the rent with you fifty fifty. No. Yes. You're joking. No. I, I thought this was like you rent the yard as is, and you do no. whatever yard stuff, yard activities you want to no. do in there. This yeah, is- I thought it was like forest bathing my like plant pots outside. So, yeah. Is it actually good because it will devalue the devalue like property? No, because so it's actually practice. No, they're just doing it in extremely overvalued property markets, and then right, they're renting out a four hundred to eight hundred square foot studio flat in someone else's backyard for um approximately thirty five thousand dollars a year. <gasps> this, this sounds like this sounds like a service that would be exclusively tailored to like Andrew Tate, like <laughs> on his like massive nights out what? in like Hebel Hempstead. Because Andrew Tate can just be like, bro, I'm renting your backyard and there's nothing you can do about it. I can't do his why accent. Did, it's a mix of so Tate many. Why does sound like Elon Musk? <laughs> I would, I would. Okay, Andrew Tate, if he was in charge of Tesla, would be fantastic. Like all of the Tesla electric cars would be able to roll coal somehow. It'd be great. <laughs> Um, um, but like Andrew Tate's like the type of guy who thinks that a night out in London is actually just going out to a club in Luton, right? Well, to be so fair, yeah, he did serve directly tailored to him. To be fair, he didn't have a great time. <laughs> he and did he's been posting about guy. it ever since. Um, no, so you can make up to 17500 a year in extra income and rent the backyard covers all the costs of construction. We also find and manage a tenant and take care of your, care of your backyard apartment's maintenance. So there's no time required on your part. Okay, I have a question. Right. Yes, please. How uh, do they actually, how do they actually like build the place? Because oh, it's to prefabricated. Actually... <laughs> it's a shipping container. Right. Uh... <laughs> it's the Soviet Union, but shit again. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's shit. Because what well, I thought it was like privatized, like our clean air, or like in my yeah. backyard. Yeah. So like, yeah, yeah. So like, go and like huff a load of oxygen from our like, oxygen. Go and, go and like sunbathe in someone else's back garden. Yeah, yeah. And I'll just charge you mad money. It's yeah. like that. You know that? Have you seen that app where it's like rent your food from your fridge that you're not using anymore so it's like tried to reduce waste sorry sorry isn't that just selling (laughs) that is like (laughs) that is like if you have like load of wilted coriander or whatever like in your fridge then you you do a sort of like sharing service where like Mm -hmm. someone will come and take it off your hands when you're like i'm going away for a week and i've got like three tomatoes and so they're applying that kind of thinking to the housing crisis (laughs) right they're like hey there's this thing where like if you've got some coriander that's about to go off you can sort of you know get it off your hands it's like what if we did that but for everything <laughs> like had you had green space like can we build on it <laughs> this like this like ruins the whole notion of what a backyard should be yes. though right yes. because mm-hmm. it's basically it's like just someone else's a, house by then you move yes. to a place so you could yes. have a backyard uh-huh. and now you're going to give away your backyard well the I, I think the idea here is that if you buy a place you can rent the backyard then rent the front house then build a house on the front yard 
and then you can buy a new place and keep your own backyard and you can just keep going in a way that's totally in a Ponzi scheme until you have rented and, and let out all of the spaces in San Francisco and then your WeWork. Yeah, this, yeah, this, this app is too yeah. cheap, is too charmingly named. It should be called like Slumlord or something. Because yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I, niche, I rent the backyard sounds like a 90s game show, right? Or like yes. Yeah. 90s like comedy oh, yeah, show absolutely. or Nickelodeon. No, you, you've absolutely hit the, name, hit the nail oh, on the head here. It's, it's, it's like somebody trying not to swear and saying like, shut the front door. <laughs> <laughs> we Okay, uh, put this put this in the ideas urn. We're going to do an episode with no no foul language. We're going to say, oh, rent the backyard. Yeah, Mormon future. Ah. Yeah, right. It's taking the cult model of uh, property developing, isn't it? Um, yeah, yet again, another another hobby I embark on becomes a pyramid scheme. Damn, yet again. Um, I hate when all the tech startups I've found become eerily similar to pyramid schemes. <laughs> rent, the backyard was, rent the Backyard was founded on the idea that owning a home in California has gotten too expensive. <laughs> we're, making, <laughs> we're making life enough and more affordable in California and backyards everywhere prettier too. Uh, so can you by like, getting rid of them? <laughs> yeah, and also, you can't really have a backyard in California because it's either got to be all gravel or on fire. So, <laughs> or it's all just like cacti. Yeah. Uh, right. Look, we're we're all betraying our lack of knowledge about America right now. Yeah. I'm pretty sure California is sort of big, but most of it is on fire. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like it's just like a fucking smog fueled oh, dystopia. Isn't I'm it? sorry. Spe- speaking of which, I'm I've got I had an I, I had an idea that I can't keep in anymore. Okay. Um, I heard that Amazon was, which provides twenty percent of the world's carbon sink, was on fire. But then I found out it was just someone trying to charge the Samsung <laughs> Galaxy S7. <laughs> it took me a second to get the name and cadence uh, and realize that's what you were doing. No, you don't, don't you dare. Putting a mark of Don't you dare get rid of that. That's the best thing I've ever said. I can just imagine Nate right now with like his missing tooth being like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nate, Nate editing this with like a colossal dental pain is not going to be kind to any of us. This, this MF missing a tooth sometimes like sometimes i sit on my desk and i'm watching him edit and he'll just like he'll it'll we'll, be really quiet and then at some point he'll just be like what the fuck riley and then he'll just continue doing just continue editing and i just know that like nate some, is the, like, nate is in so many like ways that. the solid snake of our podcast because right. he'll just <laughs> occasionally be like <sighs> um uh i'm 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 Otacon, but if he had revolver ocelots reflexes. <laughs> okay, back to okay. California. Yes, back, back to, to California. Back to California. Mm-hmm. Uh, California, here we come. Back. Um, no hassle for you. Rent the backyard. Rent the backyard. Takes care of constructing your backyard studio apartment and manages the tenant. You just supply the backyard. <laughs> just add water. Uh, yeah, it's it's just so f- it's. It's like I was telling Alice before we all started recording here. It's it's one of the sort of cuter ideas we've ever dealt it with. Is. It's, it's, it's not so, as harmful. It's very much like a treehouse style idea. Right. Like, what if a couple of tech bros discovered a tr- invented the treehouse? Right. Yeah. Also, at the same time, what if as a result of that, you no longer own that tree? Because the only way that this could work is if you basically kind of gave them the land that you had at like a discount price right yes and then the the person they move in has certain tenants rights also right so you like just making yourself a landlord for jokes not even a landlord they're the landlord you're just like it's a sublet right you're renting the yeah Mm. yes and like the issue is that the startup was founded on the basis that 
there's a housing crisis in California yes. mm. and buying houses or buying property and even renting property is really expensive there. Mm. So what this startup is basically doing is buying up land yes. for a hugely discounted rate. Correct. Making more money. Yes. By renting it out to tenants in an already because you know the only way that this will work is if like they the rent is largely in line with like California or like the area like just San Francisco Bay Area right just there because well, all of mm. these startups all of these world changing startups I've yeah. found are just for them yeah okay so, so, like so, pizza- so take what I said about forest fires and make it about earthquakes instead <laughs> so so San Francisco famously one of the places in California where the def- where the housing crisis definitely isn't worse than anywhere no, else in the state of course or world um, realistic let's be real world and as a, and as a result of selling this land to this to rent the backyard at a discount price. Um, you will never be able to get that. You'll, you'll basically never be able to buy that land back. No. Mm. no. Or presumably sell your house Where do I sign because up? it's got someone else's house in it with a little yeah, tech that's, cube that's, and that's a like no girls allowed sign. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's all it's by tech bros for tech bros. So I think it's a lot of no girls allowed sign. Mm-hmm. It's a men going their own way sign. A ah. copy of 12 Rules for Life in the window. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's one of these things. Like, one of the reasons I always love these, a lot of these startups, is the these all the ones that are purporting to solve some kind of crisis are like, okay, there is clearly a crisis here. We could either do a simple intervention on the demand side by, say, giving people more money, or or increasing effective demand by just reducing costs. Or we can try to increase supply by using increasingly fanciful <laughs> and bizarre interventions, like monetizing the concept of tree houses. Right. <laughs> because you can't just build a house. That's not no. sexy. No, it's ridiculous. No, we've been doing that for thousands of years. It's not new. That's old thinking. That's thinking one. <laughs> thinking one. Thinking two is what if we made everyone live in a treehouse? But it's also like guilt tripping you like into shame for having the luxury of all of oh, this yeah. space. So it's like you have all of this free space that you're just using. Mm. It, when we're in a housing crisis, like how gluttonous and, you know, LA yeah. of you, we could be like... You know, putting a family and, of like eighteen check bros in there. Uncapitalist <laughs> too. Like you, you have this place that isn't being used to maximize extracted value. Right. Yeah. You you might as well just rent out your extra brain capacity to IBM in the evenings. <laughs> um, so renting your backyard in three easy steps. Mm-hmm. Um, do do we want to know the steps? Because the steps uh, are st- uh, step yes. one: clips for sale account. Step two. <laughs> Uh, step one we build your unit for at no cost to you we handle permitting and building your unit you pay nothing unless you sell your home yeah that's what my surgeon said to me too and i still don't believe that (laughs) yeah big binder of units Um, (laughs) number two we list your unit online (laughs) (laughs) um you get half the rent each month you'll get a check or bank transfer for half your unit's profit so, you know, you don't obviously they keep all the costs and half the profits and you have to pay them if you sell your house. Cool. Um, I mean, honestly, it's like it seems like such a bad deal that I've actually come all the way back around on it. And it's anti landlord action. <laughs> <laughs> like, like these guys, though, no, rent the backyard is actually um, praxis now. Yeah, they it's found good. a I way to it. exploit I said this like right at the beginning. <laughs> no one listens to me. 
but also like commodifying what like immigrant families have been doing for like millennia anyway which is like you know you come over to a country you obviously like stay in the house of like you know the host family auntie uncle who's already in the country and then they might build like their a little bit of an extension and then you might you know stay in the annex for a bit or you know you might be able to like live in like the garage for a little bit and you know that's sort of like part of that sort of whole tenement thing that was happening in Britain in the 70s of 80s anyway when people were able to buy houses and buy land but it's like okay you were doing that for free for your family how about we just privatize that for strangers right mm, absolutely so we have all the good ideas basically and then the tech bros <laughs> more <laughs> but- cultural cultural appropriation by the tech bros <laughs> the tech bros get me started babe the tech bros are just like why don't we take immigrant trauma and make an app out of it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your trauma it's like how- it's like it's like how it's like how you know lot, lots of lots of immigrant families have Christmas card lists or or, or other other holiday card lists, <laughs> and then Mark Zuckerberg was like, hmm, <laughs> interesting. Um, so uh, how do I how do I qualify? So you have to own a home in the San Francisco Bay Area. So you must so already be four a millionaire. People. Yeah, that's like four. That's one of four people. One of them is actually Zuckerberg. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, what, your backyard must be at least thirty feet by thirty feet in size. So two people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're getting ever closer to the mythical startup for one person. Their <laughs> <laughs> market is Dave. So it's at nine by nine meters. Wow. Um, that has to be. You have nine meter by nine meter back right. back garden in the San Francisco Bay Area. I love to have a must- nine by nine meter uh, studio apartment. Yes. Well, it'll be smaller than that, of course. Of course. <laughs> of right. course. Um, so don't worry about that <laughs> because... Um, you know, you. It's the other great thing is about living in like rabbit hutches, uh, which is yeah, good. I was actually, say, this is n- not only cultural appropriation from immigrants, but also devaluing the lived experience of Anne Frank by replicating her living conditions. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm putting Brian a mark the same. I'm putting a mark yeah. um, Oh man! And also, you have to live in your home for most of the year, so I think it is for one guy. Right. I yeah. mean, it's either that or it's like I, I, I've never, I haven't been to San Francisco before. But from what I've been told, like the people who own property in San Francisco are either like guys who are big tech bros and can afford to buy these places, and will probably like be like, oh, cool, I can make some extra tech money. Chads. Yeah, tech chads. Mm. Call them tech chads or immigrant fat like. Often Asian American immigrant families who were in San Francisco before it became like a Silicon Valley hub. So people who like moved in the 60s and 70s bought property like, you know, from restaurants and everything. Um, And there have been like stories about how like tech companies and tech chads have tried to buy these properties from them or try to like convince these families that, hey, maybe you should like rent out the garage because we've got this cool like juice startup. You squeeze it from a bag. Uh yeah exactly um, it's it's, a, and it's, it's fresh juice it's wrist mm. exercise <laughs> um juicero rebrands is a fitness company so <laughs> even though this is very very dystopian and i and i would find it hilarious if like stupid tech chads like actually bought into it on the basis that they think that making like some short-term cocaine money would be like useful to them i think that the thing that the real danger to this is like existing asian immigrant families who are already kind of feeling you know being priced out of that area anyway being mm. told that hey like if you're having money problems well i've i've got a solution for you and the guy who's doing it looks suspiciously suspiciously like the guy who sold monorail <laughs> tiny means tiny and home means home <laughs> but also like isn't everyone just like weakening their wi-fi connection then if you've got like someone in like your backyard just like downloading scrubs or whatever. yeah i have yeah i have, I mean, been, I have 
I have to download David Vance's premium snaps. <laughs> and you keep getting interference from like the Wi-Fi of like the guy who lives in your yard. <laughs> I, I have to upload my my new podcast, Riley to Riley, the world's only direct to Riley Reed podcast. <laughs> I told yeah, you, as not- part of the lease conditions, his Wi-Fi network has to be called uh, Yard Gremlin. <laughs> so, um, actually, Hussein, I yeah. one of the FAQs because I. I love the FAQs of these companies because it's always interesting to think which cues they think are FA, um, and or at least how they answer them because the questions actually sometimes are pretty reasonable, yeah. like these are. Um, but that's sort of they sort of respond to this. Uh, this cue and this cue is FA. How much can I expect to make off my property? A. This really depends on the average rents of your city and if local laws allow backyard studio apartments to be rented out on a short-term basis. Most but people it, will be It's able- in one city. Yes, well, don't worry, they're going to go global. No one's oh, going to have a backyard okay. when they're done with the world. Cool. <laughs> um, uh, most people will be able to make $10,000 plus blah blah blah. However, here's the sentence I really like from this FAQ. Uh as local governments improve their policies to allow things like Airbnb <laughs> and your home therefore appreciates, you'll see more income over time. Oh, great. Uh, so yeah. Sustainable. <laughs> oh, yeah, because like Airbnb hasn't caused any problems. No, or it's amazing. No. And governments be priced love it. Out it or, rules that you know, no social one lives housing in, to decline. It right? rules that no one lives in Barcelona anymore. It's mm. great that Barcelona Airbnb. is now just a theme park. When they came for Airbnb, I said nothing. Now they come for my backyard. <laughs> Um, right, so it's like yeah, so it's as the, it, it, the 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 tech bro conception of housing is as this as this commodity or service to be disrupted, much like we work is like we've disrupted the idea of space by providing it. Um, <laughs> these guys are like we've disrupted the idea of a backyard by building a treehouse in it. But don't worry, soon your city will allow someone to like live in a window box. Right. You know, it's yeah. like give up your flesh and the well, new yeah, world and, awaits and, you. It, when people also like um, used to be, if they again the whole thing about immigrant families in the U.S. and the U.K. doing this in the '70s, like mm-hmm. they would try to do something similar, but the laws would be like, "Oh, this de- this dwelling is unsafe. We can't let this happen." Right. Blah blah blah. And they're right. like, and now they're like, "Oh, don't worry. As the laws improve to allow sort of cramped slum like <laughs> conditions." Well, this is super interesting because there's a story that's been going around today in the U.K. where um, about. Uh, councils like providing housing and shipping containers for oh, refugee yeah, families. Oh yeah, I've heard about this. And like mm. people in sh- uh, what you call it, like uh, uh, where there's like housing shortages. Um, and if you look into these shipping containers, they're like really, really cramped spaces. Um, and I was like, unfortunately, I read the comment, the comments underneath, like the Mail Online story where this was first published, and it was just like, oh well, you know. Uh, Hussein was is, trying to go Super Saiyan, so he this, tried to make himself mad. This is this is um yeah, I'm I'm trying to just like do mad monologues like the rest of the like the rest of us. Um <laughs> where they were kind of saying that oh, you know, if uh you know there's Airbnbs out of this size, so why are they complaining and stuff like that? But that's a really good point about how it wasn't actually that long ago when and even now I think there's those complaints of oh, you know, there's like six people in this apartment that's only supposed to be for four. It's all like cramped and like the spaces are like you know it's unhyped you know you have like this kind of middle class like often white like indignation around like kind of those settings but Mm. all of a sudden like that changes when like depending on you know who what i don't even know like how to kind of finish that because it's 
But it's also about yeah. transient housing, isn't it? So it's also like, okay, like you have the audacity to think that you can have a long-term stake in society or, or like want a home when obviously like all housing exists just as like a temporary like place to place until you've made the big money and you can like buy your big place in Silicon Valley or, or yeah. wherever people live in. Well, I'm, I'm going to synthesize this dialectic. You can have a house in your backyard, but only if it's a shipping container. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because no one like buys a house and like makes it a home. Everyone just like moves around until mm. they like, you know, eventually die. Yeah. Yeah, and well, this is this is this is like we see we heard lots of policies being talked about by you know whether it's whether whether it's like Liz Truss or Ian Duncan Smith in, in this country or you know the various ghouls in America where they say well people need to leave their communities and go to where the jobs are mm, get on this, your bike and look for work right and th this is the housing this is the type of housing this tiny cramped individual backyard studio that's being rented from a disruptive company this is the kind of housing that that policy creates where it's like where it is just a place to sleep for four hours between your several different jobs that you have because you've gone to where the jobs are which coincidentally is where rent costs like a million dollars a year mm. i mean i'll fully well, be there when i like go to la to try and make myself a star and i'll be like <laughs> yeah like snapchatting from my shipping container like uh, <laughs> well, at, at least this is individual though because like i feel like the end state of this is some kind of fucking dormitory like the ones we've talked about before at least this one you get your own theoretically nine by nine meter or less apartment right but you can already you can already see the trailers for it as well right you can see like you know the intern who now works at google like you know three years ago i was struggling in iowa yeah, then, yeah, yeah, thanks yeah. to the shipping container in this yard <laughs> i am the general manager well, of <laughs> now i get to go to, now i get to go to a speakeasy and pay 20 dollars for a cocktail there's, cool. a, there's a whole thanks. there's a whole genre on like youtube about like you know the whole like minimalism genre on youtube where mm. they like takes and even on netflix they have that thing they have that show about like tiny houses right mm -hmm. tiny houses and tiny spaces and how you can make like these tiny spaces into optimized they call it like optimized living environments uh, right <laughs> and like there is a whole like industry around kind of optimizing the like so-called so optimizing these small spaces so they are functional just for like sleep and cooking and everything but they have like a couple of paintings on the wall and Ooh. you know you can kind of like slide your playstation in and out so that makes it cool right <laughs> it's like if you don't live like mary kondo then you're just a slovenly dickhead anyways um, <laughs> no, yeah, I, i'd love I, to be a battery hen under capitalism <laughs> yeah. so we all love to be battery hens under capitalism riley said with his moving things along voice um but <laughs> I, i'd like to move on actually now because i did the voice um Kieran, I'd like to talk about uh, an article that, uh, that you've written recently, mm -hmm. which is about elements of the race gap in how a lot of voice and facial recognition technologies work. This is sort of a continuation from our last week's episode where we talked about how Amazon has made a transphobic set of virtual calipers that senses fear <laughs> you know like a really hateful rottweiler right there's no bad um, also there's no bad facial recognition systems only bad owners <laughs> um, uh, but i um i want one of the things we touched on but didn't really get into deeply was how like we said like like we noted that obviously these things in wide application tend to harm people who aren't white and aren't men and aren't cisgendered, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. because they're just like, they're not people. Um, right. Sorry, this this only recognizes people uh, because it's like, got, it's like a, you know, like a, an extreme case of programmer brain. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's like, it's like, it's Tammany Hall never went anywhere. It just moved uh, west. Um, but 
Um, anyway, so we wanted to go more deeply into that idea. Um, so I, I'm going to read an article, a line from one of your from your article now, uh, which we'll link in the episode description. Maybe we can go into this. Um, the idea that technology failing in apps designed just for for fun, like uh, like uh, you know voice recognition, whatever, is one thing. But look around, and you'll notice that this race gap feeds into most of the tech you use from day to day. If you suspect that the world is designed with white people in mind, nothing makes the point stronger than looking at the new wave of technology emitting people of color from its early development. Right. So it's kind of about uh, something that we already knew, which is like the audacity of developing tech that doesn't work for a global majority. Right. So it's like, you know, we know, for instance, that, you know, soap dispensers or hand dryers that use infrared technology don't always work for black and brown hands. We know like from you know, the stories that we've seen this year about like Fitbit not being as effective because of its like green infrared light systems on like black and brown people. So it's like anything from, you know, the stuff that you might use for like social like entertainment type things to like, you know, a face app filter that puts like a white rate of aging filter on you, even though it's like, I'm sorry, we're not going to age the same. (laughs) (laughs) Like Like that to like, you know, pedestrian automated car AI tech, be it like, you know, seeing white people as like you know much easier Mm. than black and brown people so it's like if you are like 10 times more likely to be seen as a white person by an automated car that's a pretty good privilege to have like that is like beyond like all the sort of minutia like tech things that we might have noticed just say it's if if this is it turns out that the the future world is not mad max it (laughs) appears to be death race but it's just fucking long isn't it because it's like okay we we already know this about like the way that we are so when we talk about like voice recognition technology and siri and whatever we know that a lot of those early voice data sets were were taken from u.s public radio so it kind of makes sense that like in the 70s and 80s when that data gathering happened that you know you were hearing a certain kind of like white NPR type voice right but like the idea that in 2019 that is being developed now and a future world for us and like future generations will still see will still have like feel the negative impacts of that stuff it's just like so tiring when you think about the conversations that you're sort of having you know I went to Collision in Toronto earlier this year and there was so much being said about like, oh, yeah, you know, we're doing this. And Mozilla, we're talking about how they're creating these voice data sets where you lend your voices and it's supposed to democratize, uh, you know, Siri and, you know, wh- whatever might come next. But it was like, obviously, they were just sending like a load of white people to Rwanda to like collect voices and not tell them what they were going to do with their data. And it was like, even when you're well-meaning, you still kind of like make me feel like stinky. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, well, it's the... um. It, it it is that very strange idea of just of just someone walking into a town and being like, "Don't worry, I'm not racist. Right. I just want to collect your voice. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about where it's gonna go. Uh, uh, but it will go somewhere well, you know. Uh, um, mm. And it's and it's kind of cool. There's like lots of good examples of like you know uh, Catalonians using like their voice data in order, you know, for to sort of enhance the lifespan of like their very politicized language and in Wales and all these things. But you know my general sense of this is that it's like it's just more evidence of what we suspected which is Mm. like yeah these aren't designed with us in mind and you kind of need more than just like developers who are people of color yeah well it's it's great that all the stuff that is designed with minorities in mind is some hugely authoritarian piece of technology like mass (laughs) surveillance doesn't struggle with this It, it it tells it tells people apart very easily almost too easily but they're not minorities they're global majorities so like that's Mm. 
that's the issue, isn't it? It's like you ha- they ha- there are global data sets for like, you know, East Asian and South Asian faces. Mm. They're just used in a really draconian way in like an American or UK context. Mm. Yeah, but there's, there's, they're just used by the US military. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, we, it's like, we yeah, we... We've developed a like um, we've developed a, a, a Fitbit that, that white people can use to just be like, cool. I've done just my getting screwed in, in, in both directions at the same time. In that, you, a drone can see you very well, but a Tesla can't. Right. <laughs> but it's mad. It's like one of the people that I interviewed is like a Jamaican local, and he was like, you know, there's a huge, not even emerging middle class. There is an established like upper middle class uh, in Jamaica who can afford to have like these systems and these like big. Uh, you know, Siri setups and like voice recognition systems in their home, but they're completely useless because they don't understand our accent or patois. So like, so what's the point? So it, it kind of actually reminds me a little bit of the uh, rent the backyard people <laughs> where they're like, look, there's the housing crisis, of course. So we're going to do a San Francisco solution. <laughs> we're going to do we we've and because so many of these tech startups it's like these great geniuses, these titans of the economy, the engine of social progress, whatever it's supposed to lauded to be in the liberal imagination. It's like they get all of their ideas by looking around and thinking about it for a minute. And then they just do the first thing they think of. They're it's, like, it's, well, it's the Matt Hancock brain process. <laughs> I mean, if they, if they didn't, that's how they get the origin story, right? It's like, I was just walking down the street and I had this great idea of like creating a database which measures everyone's skull diameters. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Uh, it was just, it was just a, you know, flash in the pan. It was a smart, it was like a, you know, a, a spark, the, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, the light bulb moment. Mm. It's also like, obviously lots of the tech that's being developed now is like, is forward looking, right? So it's about like elderly care for like mm. us when we're in our like 70s and 80s, like, you know, obviously voice recognition is going to become increasingly important. And like, you know, there's argument to say that a lot of the gig economy is really designed, like it's exploited by millennials, but it's really for like elderly people using them, right? So mm. if you can like use Uber and you can have Deliveroo and you can use Siri, that's obviously sick if you're like 85, like in your yard on your own, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like you don't have a yard anymore. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> um, but like this, this is the thing. It's like you, for me anyway. It's like I can see what the future world is looking like for me, mm. and it's shit. So. Mm. Why? Well, I mean, I'm always optimistic about this because we may all just die before we get there. Yeah, <laughs> inshallah. I was yeah, saying, you know, it's exactly. one of these things where it's like, yo, this all looks bad because <laughs> all of this dystopian technology is like looming. But don't worry, climate change is going to end civilization. Yeah. None of just, it's going to work. Just, just kind mean, of how- front-loading the whole Amazon being on fire thing. That, that's going to be like an IEA take at some point, right? Hmm. Uh, it already sort of is. No, kind of. really. Um, <laughs> Literally, well, the well, this end of the boat is rising, so I don't see what you're concerned about. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's, look, I, it's one of these things where, like, respect to Christian Nemitz, the man is a poster. <laughs> yes. And he really just, he is, I, I wish Hi, we could Christian. turn his brain to just anything else. <laughs> Um, but uh, so I'll, I'm going to go back to the article here, right? Uh, and I want to go back to the um, to the to the car thing, which is that uh, Georgia Tech did a study that machine vision systems are are just better at recognizing uh, pedestrians with lighter skin tones, and that AI systems are specifically um, 
identifying white people 10% more correctly as pedestrians rather than like a bollard or a hip hop style thug. Right. <laughs> oh right. my god, it's literally your Simpsons reference for this. When <laughs> Hank Scorpio is gentrifying his town and Homer imagines a uh, a bum turning into a mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember. I, I, don't have, I like. I like vaguely remember this, but, but I, I don't. I, we can, don't I, think we, I can. Yeah. We don't have bums here, Homer. And if they did, they wouldn't rush. They'd be allowed to go at their own pace until they were killed by a Tesla. <laughs> I mean, I, look, I've always described um, Musk as um, a kind of dark Willy Wonka, but mm. I think that he also is just Hank Scorpio. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, he's, he is setting Walmart's on fire simultaneously in seven different states as we as we record this. And so, but do we like the thing is, I think like you, you say that recognizing this gap mm-hmm. is like a first step. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but having to like put on a white, like a white voice, maybe like, it's not really a solution, obviously. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, these, these, I, in your article, this, uh, this Jamaican man says like he can control his Siri, mm-hmm. uh, but he, he has to basically do the sorry to bother you thing of putting on his white voice. Right. Which the entire world, the world that the tech bros imagine is the third act of sorry to bother you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, when you think about even like the psychology of like the radio voice, you know, like the phenomena of, of doing that is like such, you know, it's, it's so well understood by, you know, communities of color. It's like part of that code switching thing and whatever, whatever. The idea is that when you are existing in a future world, when you fed into uh, tech and data and you have more agency in, in the in the tech world you would assume that like in 50 60 years you don't have to put those things on or at some way or you know I don't know in order to get the tech that you know in, uh, enhances the quality of your life to work but I'm mm. not convinced that that's how it's going to be no it just infiltrates its way into other parts of your life like you're having to code switch to your fridge now right <laughs> that's what I'm saying it's like wow i've got to be like a sally suburb when i'm like you know asking like siri for directions come on man uh hello do i have any aubergines still (laughs) 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 um right and it's well it's like i i always think of i think of technology in um, in this way to be quite sort of the, the a lot, a lot of people think that technology just um, accelerates forces that are already there. It doesn't create new forces. And I think by and large, that's true. But the difference is that I think if you're, I would imagine, if you're, if you're code switching to another person, you're still interacting with a person. You can affect how that goes because you know what you can say. You know what you can do. But the machines that are always monitoring us are basically treating treating people like sources of data. So instead of interacting with a person, you're being researched. It's so much more passive. And I think that's that's what I find very scary about the totally administered and monitored future, if that makes any sense. And I think often, it, from what I have gleaned from lots of the people I've interviewed about this, is that you know, people from communities of color have a really different relationship with this kind of data. They have like a very different kind of relationship with their Amazon Echo because it is, you know, if you are feeling uh, alienated from outside, you come in and you feel like you can still regulate like what time do you take like your pills or, you know, when you have to pick up somebody. And there is a way of, you know, practicing English. Some people said that they used it in that way. And so when you then realize that actually you're just feeding like, you know, the, the, the buying and consuming of this technology, which ultimately 
sort of disenfranchises you you suddenly like find yourself as part of this cycle and you know people would always look at this and say oh well you know the only way to solve this is like having more developers of color oh you just have to have programmers of color oh you just have to like put them in the company and it's like that is such a redundant and short-sighted solution to this like it's, it's the same it's that same sort of li uh, fundamentally liberal assumption which is hmm there's a housing crisis better build in everyone's back gardens like there is the simp the simple solution to this is it's not a technical problem or a staffing problem it's a it's a problem of like of the of the model itself of this of infinite growth and increasing control. Well, have but 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 what if we diversified the problem? <laughs> <laughs> well, what I was going to say was that like it's kind of the the you have to work on the basis that like they see it as a problem to begin with, right? And when you have like an entire billion dollar comp billion dollar industry built on data retention and data collection, um, there's no way to kind of like not you know there's no way for them to kind of see that as an issue because mm. it would almost mean well, it, would ha it would fundamentally mean that you would have to like you know destroy a lot of kind of you'd have to destroy all of San Francisco right mm. oh no yeah damn I just bought I just bought a home and sold my backyard <laughs> quickly call, call Ed Harris <laughs> I feel, uh, I feel yeah. conflicted about it, though, because on one hand, what you've seen, um, certainly in East Asian markets, is that, you know, for instance, like following those reports in 2015 and 2016, that, you know, Snapchat filters were being used and it would say, like, open your eyes when people already had their eyes open or they couldn't differentiate between different facial types. So everyone could unlock everybody's iPhone X, for, like, lock screen. Like, oh, God. <laughs> the, what, <laughs> what? So many, so many boyfriends were like, well, why were you looking at my phone? <laughs> <laughs> But like the solution was actually that, you know, companies from within the region were like, okay, we're just going to completely use our own thing. And so now the way that, you know, a lot of East Asian markets use tech, as you know, to communicate is completely different. And, you know, they're using Weibo and they're using like different stickers and whatever. So they are like, okay, fuck you. We don't want to use like your version of Siri in like my like Tokyo based home anyway. So it's calm. So on one hand, I'm like, yeah, like fucking destroy and rebuild. Like just do your own thing in your own market that, that works for you. But then equally, I'm like, oh, it's just us thickos that are like the second and third generation immigrants mm. living in like UK and US and surrounding areas that will really feel how disenfranchised that life experience is going to be in like the next 50 years for us. So like, hopefully things will get better. But I think for like me and Hussein, like, yeah, it's pretty... It's gonna be shit. Only for like, <laughs> I think only for like sixty years though. <laughs> David, we David, might not even survive for that listen, long. So. <laughs> David Vance goes to open a Snapchat filter and it just does the dog tongue, but coming out of his giant chin. <laughs> oh God! Um, I think really like the other the, the one of the things I, I tend to think about when I I think of the problems to do with the private holding of data is that like Laurie, um, I, like I'm sorry, not not Laurie, Matt Matt Lawrence, um. Lori Leighton Langburn's um, frequent partner in crime. But Matt Lawrence talks a lot about open data and the idea that this data is being collected, held and used um, and manipulated and so on by companies who keep it very secret and very walled off, who collect it from you and then hoard it. That's a core part of the, like We could either balkanize into ethno states with different kinds of Siri or like, the this, uh, this sort of simple cut through solution is one of open data where... That where all of a sudden the the fact that the, the, all of these barriers in, in industry stop mattering so much if people can just access their own data and then control how it's used. And it's, it's essentially just puts it all down to much more democratic control 
rather than allowing like the three guys with like back room back backyard um uh flats to decide like who counts as a person and again, who counts it, as a bollard it's it's not necessarily just about like access to data but it's also about you know so what you know one of the big things when we talk about data is also about storage and you know so a, a good example of this is there's an actual name for it but it's called like amazon oh. amazon web services no, no, but it's kind of like Amazon, you know, so for, you know, all the Fortnite servers are run mm-hmm. on like Amazon Central Server. We'll, we'll call it Amazon Central Server, but I'm pretty sure. Like, it's Someone who works Amazon. at Amazon, delete the mechs out of Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, basically the idea that like if, if you know, Amazon retains all this data and that's fundamental to how like these multiplayer, you know, these, these uh, online games work. If um, it would, it would not be able to work under like open data plans. Or under like, or it might be able. So to we'd lose San Francisco and Fortnite. Oh, we would. No. We would. Um, you know, but like, there's so much data that's retained on this kind of network of servers, and like, you know, because there are so many of them, and they're kind of all you know, networked together and everything. That is, you know, so for like professional gamers, for example, they rely on these servers because it's like, you know, um, that's how. I get like my I, that's how I get get advantages when it comes to like speed or when it comes to like interactions and stuff like that. Now, obviously, that's just in the context of gaming. Sure. Um, but what it does go to show is that like even with all even with like loads of data available, like um, you know, you also need like a new physical infrastructure to which and that like opens up a bunch of other questions as well. It opens up like well, if you have like a system of open data, then uh, what's the environmental impact of like creating a bunch of like different server networks, right? Uh, what about, and this is kind of where I think, I think a lot of crypto is like really, you know, we, we joked around like a while ago about like cryptocurrency, like burning the earth because oh, it, of it how is. much energy, and it is, right? Uh-huh. You know, with, 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 it, with it to mining and stuff. All but, that's happened is it's just been overtaken yeah. by a lot of literal fire. But lots of yeah. people who are having conversations about open data are also having conversations about like, how can we use like blockchain in ways that are, like much more democratic and there is like an argument for that so there's a project in new york that like has created its own blockchain systems which is designed to kind of like help prisoners communicate with the outside world so we've got like some examples there but it's also worth thinking about like the type of infrastructure we would have to build when we're thinking about like a completely radical like a radically different internet is also one that has like its own impact as well. Right. And also how you battle effectively against a political climate, which mm. gives you a lot of uh reasons why you wouldn't kind of do open source like facial recognition. Mm. Whereas like that works for voice data. So Common Voice, which is Mozilla's project, that works because you know, all right, you might want to lend your voice along with like a load of other people saying sort of random sentences, but then doing like open source is anything that you could be recognizable is fuckery just holding up my big foam finger that says read capital <laughs> well i mean thinking about the cryptocurrency destroying the earth can i interest you in my new brazilian export of log coin <laughs> uh, don't worry we're burning down the amazon rainforest but we can use it to buy heroin <laughs> right. um, so um i hope all of the uh, i hope anyway all of the listeners also are wearing your big foam fingers that just say marks on them <laughs> to answer the question of how do we build that political system that will create these open shared common resources um god i really want a foam finger that says marks on it we're going to have to start selling those uh, i want a foam i want no i want i want to have a wide variety of um different foam fingers uh, that i can wear based it's on it's like my homer's mood. penance 
Yeah. Like, <laughs> the, the one where he's in court that just says justice, but it's for Mark. I mean, I mean we, we can get them made, but, you know, again, there's a, there's that whole other issue of, like, you know, on the one hand, we want to save the environment, but on the other hand, we keep, like, ordering, bun- you know, <laughs> just, just spraying CFCs into the atmosphere because um, we ne- we want a novelty foam finger. I've, I've recently I've recently ordered a, a custom mug from Vista Print that I'm yeah. very excited. To so receive. like, so you're, like, you're contri- you know, at, at what point are you going to get like trash future like Funko Pops and stuff? Oh, mm. I want to be. I don't want to be a Funko Pop though because those those are only on- owned by like soy dads. Funk, Funko Pop, but there was a. You know, we'll talk about this at some other point. But like, Funko Pops are so bad. They're so so bad for the environment, um, and they suck. So, no, yeah, no I, damn. I, I, I'm with you on this one. I'm saying we are an anti Funko Pop podcast. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm. Um, let's just say I'm getting a, a mug made of a good friend of the show who has recently dearly departed. <sighs> R.I.P. Rest in power. <laughs> no, uh, F- Funko Pops. Funko Pops are graven idols, and as such, are a, a horrible sin. So, Dimnatio memoriae. I dump all of the Funko Pops of my enemies into a grain <laughs> yeah. treasure. Truth, truth has come. Falsehood has vanished. I am smashing all of my Funko Pops with a big stick. Okay. All right. Uh, before we before we we head out um, to go smash up all the Funko Pops because they're graven images, <laughs> um, and before I get my sweet sweet mug, um, I, I'll post a picture of it later. You can here, listener contest. Uh, this is going to come out on next Thursday, so I'm definitely going to forget from the, when it's being recorded. It's out now, obviously. Uh, I'm gonna forget that I did this contest, but uh, tweet <laughs> tweet at us. What mug do you think I got? What do you think's on it? Um, I bet you already know. So I want to talk about internships. Mm-hmm. Internships the best the best way to get ahead because if you're gonna like you know, live for free for a while, you know, you're gonna your parents are gonna rent you like a backyard studio. You're gonna get you're excited. You're gonna get some um, experience. Um, for example, one of the coolest in- and hottest internship programs going on right now. Um, is at Foxconn, uh, which is famously one of the hardest jobs in the world. Can you survive? New business idea for Foxconn. <laughs> the dark souls of factory work. <laughs> new, 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 new business idea for Foxconn. Rebrand as a tough mutter. <laughs> um, yeah, just the suicide all factory. dad's assembly line making your iPhone. Finally, justice. <laughs> it's, it's a kind of CrossFit. <laughs> Um, so basically, as we know, Foxconn, that suicide factory in China, basically rounded up a bunch of teenagers, classified them as interns, um, and then paid the teachers to accompany them to the factories where they basically didn't pay them. Uh, and then uh, made a bunch of Alexas for Amazon that would then go on to like force a bunch of a, a lot of um, Jamaicans to adopt white voice 24-7. <laughs> we love Amazon here, don't we, folks? It's just great all the way through the production process. Uh, Absolutely. Um, the, the Foxconn defended its use of school children as, quote unquote, interns gaining valuable job experience, claiming that it provides students who, by the way, are all of legal, legal working age, which is totally the bar you want to aim for. Yeah. yeah my, my, my All of my employees are of legal working age shirt <laughs> is raising many questions, all of which are answered by the, the, my shirts. Interesting. Foxconn f- has relocated its factory to Little St. James Island. <laughs> Um, providing these students who are all of legal working age uh, with the opportunity Why to gain- Why does the pro- factory have that dome on it? <laughs> uh, with the opportunity- So what- where in China is the name Epstein from? Um, <laughs> uh, with the opportunity to gain practical- Oh, sorry, I just- 
I just had the cursed thought of oh, someone good. doing the racist, so where are you really from thing, but it's Jeffrey Epstein hiding in China. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. God, my brain's going to leak out my ears. <laughs> um, so it provides students who are all of legal working age with the opportunity to gain practical work experience and on-the-job training in a number of areas that will support their efforts to find employment following their graduation. Editors note, if they live. Um <laughs> So Foxconn's documents show that the company wrestled with the idea of hiring school children as workers, but decided the benefits outweigh the whisks. Do we want to hear what the benefits are? Yes. Yes. They can fit in small, like, shoots. <laughs> Not quite. Oh, uh, you no. Need, you need smaller oh. suicide nets. That, that's heavily... <laughs> oh. that's a, finer, a finer mesh in the suicide <laughs> yeah. net. Oh, jeez. That, no, that's more expensive. Um, low labor cost, number one, obviously. The classic reason to get interns. Um, can hire a large amount of labor at once, getting entire classrooms. <laughs> that's, the, that's the coach from Battle Royale writing this. <laughs> <laughs> Easier to resign to additional workers to other positions. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. Strong ability to learn new things. So we <laughs> Childlike love- sense of wonder yet to be crushed. <laughs> <laughs> so, but... This actually isn't what this is about because that's been like we all know that's horrifying. Like that needs no additional analysis to be horrifying. But, but I also, thought China like, was there, socialist. But also, like there is a, a collective cognitive dissonance that we do about all of these labor practices on any tech that we use all the time, anyway, right? Like mm. we know yeah, that you know the iPhone is like you know using up all our fucking elements and are being used by like low skilled workers, not low skilled workers, low paid workers. Mm. I'm using the term workers very loosely there. So it's like, this is really fucking like, all the more details that you're giving me is fucking with like the cognitive dissonance that helps me sleep at night when I'm like on Twitter. (laughs) That's what what the show does, sorry. (laughs) Um, But then it's, we can even do it all the way around because where are the, a lot of those phones just get thrown out in India and Bangladesh. Right. And Mm -hmm. then poison people, which is great. Yeah, and then they poison everyone. It's, wow. It really is the whole supply chain from All start it, to right. finish is evil in a distinct way. Like the rare earth metals mined by people who are essentially enslaved, going to a suicide factory, then going to someone who has to code switch to use it, then being recycled and it poisons someone. <sighs> I love the most efficient distribution of resources possible. Uh, it's, it's, it's good also that, you know... Um, that uh, that companies, uh, countries rather. Oh, 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 sorry. I just we live in a society myself. The Joker <laughs> makeup just flashed onto my face. UK PLC, am I right? Uh. Um, it's good that com- that countries also you know subsidize these places to go and and do their business there. Like how Scott Walker was like, no, please put the suicide factory here. We'll pay you. It's just I love all of the efficiency and the profits. And like, look, without this system, then we would all still be you know living on a farmland with very few studio apartments on it. <laughs> that's actually um, so, the original purpose of enclosure was to put up studio apartments <laughs> so but this all led me to run across this article and it really leapt off the page at me it's from fast company which is a magazine that sounds like it would be bad and sometimes is but just keeps hiring writers who i think are all like like leftist fifth columnists many of whom are friends of the show um <laughs> and so it's not infrequently pretty good and this article is from a series called The Intern Economy. It's by uh, Anissa uh, Purvisari Horton. And we're not actually reading it to make fun of it, but just to sort of draw out some of the insane things that some of the people interviewed have been saying. So, are we ready to begin? Mm-hmm. The notion of internship was traditionally confined to medicine, 
But this all changed in the 1930s when the concept of internship brought into other fields. I wonder why free labor, making <laughs> laboring for free a precondition of getting uh, hired into an industry became widespread in the 30s. Yeah, and then in the 2010s it made it into podcasting, which is why I'm not getting paid for this. <laughs> um, yeah, Alice is gaining valuable legal experience exactly. from all of this slander. And you have to use a much smaller suicide net. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, mm, interesting. So eventually, this led to a series of regulations, uh, including the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938, which governed when the constra what constraints of a company- Ooh, I, I hope the rest of the article is about how all of these regulations stay perfectly in place. <laughs> when a company is permitted to take on an unpaid intern. Editor's note, the rest of the article is actually a litany of ways in which companies are able to get around or just ignore this law. What? <laughs> what? Companies <laughs> getting around- a No, but the laws are- but you have to obey the laws. You can't just get, get, get you can't just get around them. You're that being be... murdered. You can't. People can't do that. That's illegal. <laughs> um, and like what? But I think like, what this article should show us. Uh, like yes, we made the law in 1938. It's fine. Capital, capital just figures a way out a way around. It always does. You know that's why you never set up enough barriers. It's like water. It will always find its way through. So. Uh, are we ready to hear the first of the quotations? Uh -huh. Before landing her first full-time gig over 10 years ago, Chanel Omari spent three years interning for various TV and radio stations. I can afford to do that. One executive told me not to stand within 10 feet of them ever, Omari says. <laughs> Just needs personal space. <laughs> okay, so th I'm, I'm already seeing the turn that article is taking into, uh, would you like to be Maggie Gyllenhaal and secretary, but unpaid? <laughs> and I mean, um, yes, but... Um, it's the... Uh, it's that the executive happened to be a small bean whom was an INTJ. <laughs> <laughs> um... They did not want me to talk to them directly ever either. I remember w one time someone told me that if I didn't get the details of lunch correctly every time, then I was never going to be successful in the entertainment industry. <sighs> that seems healthy. Yeah. It's kind of interesting though, doesn't it? Because like on the flip side of that, having unpaid internships really do promote this idea of like, having to batty lick the brand because that's the only way that you can really do it right like mm -hmm. if you are working for free you're like i have to really believe in this i have to love this this is great yeah, it's like, my passion right i'm not being paid for this but you know i'm getting so much cultural capital and and actually it's a much more effective psychological thing at play here which is like if you're gonna work for the guardian or sony or the bbc or whatever for free you have to love the brand and you can still mm. leave this building and say oh i'm just like at this you know insert cool brand here place and that and that does enough for you so by the time you do get paid you feel so grateful already but by getting the bare minimum that it's yeah. just so fascinating seeing that in play and how effective it's been for the last like 20 years well, of there's, labor there's that thing about like why there was a piece that came out about just like how brands eventually how, how brands like effectively won right like how mm -hmm. we're now in this kind of place where brands can kind of act like you know at, you know at be really informal and act very cute on like twitter and stuff like you know netflix and everything yeah. oh or how the all the chicken thing or how all the disney properties right, all, right. all were epic with each other right <laughs> i like yeah. that we have two in memory within like a couple of days <sighs> that's normal um it's also it. so funny how like you know in the sort of like everyone was mainlining like naomi klein era there was like all that whole kind of 
trend for like those no logo type books came out like burn the brands half of which in the uk anyway of those people yeah. all work for agencies now like they all work for like media <laughs> agencies like we love early 2000s ad busters stuff don't we right it's so good <laughs> but it's just yeah like i actually recently well a couple of weeks ago went to uh, like a big ad agency in london mm. and one of the guys who's like you know the ceos like wrote one of those battle like burn the brands books <laughs> in like the mid 2000s of and course I was pissed, yeah. yeah i was like pissing myself obviously uh, yeah I, I you know what i miss i'm just remembering it now is it was everywhere it was the the u.s flag with a different corporate logo for each of the stars oh my god i thought that was yeah. the deepest shit iconic that's yeah kind of, that's like you know <laughs> indian style looks where people have like saris with like the whatsapp branding on them oh intriguing so what, it, what it really reminds me of though is um feudalism <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just surfs just endlessly proving their loyalty to their lord by serving as like as men at arms in their in their armies Midden's but also being, advent back again but also being tied to the land <laughs> But also if like all the like also if all the fiefdoms were like owned by Disney. Yeah. <laughs> well no, it, what, it literally the castle is the Disney castle. Yeah. What what if I mean look, what happened in Europe over the course of like from eight hundred to sort of fourteen hundred is the consolidation of many minor fiefdoms into what are now the modern nation states. All, it's it's all just the same. It's just with Disney doing it Riley, instead you, of like I, the Frankish. Are you suggesting that the piece of Westphalia is Disney acquiring Marvel? <laughs> <laughs> but isn't yes, it also and, sorry, go sorry, ahead. Go, and the Reformation is the is the no sorry the Counter Reformation is the dispute over Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I was going to say, isn't it also just the commodification of like the Bohemian eccentric that we've seen? Like when you're talking about the European context, like obviously throughout history we've had these like eccentrics and artists and people who have like lived outside of the status quo mm -hmm. or the status economic work labor quo and just like sat around like you know reading the yellow book and like being artists or whatever and i think it's so interesting to see how that's developed in the context of silicon valley because you know all of those famous stories from like uh you know who are the guys that did space invaders you know whatever yeah, atari yeah. like atari uh, like yeah. you know like early atari it was like you know we don't need like it, you know the constructs of oh like, yeah, a, yeah yeah bedroom an entrepreneurs and shit like right, like sexy like fetishized entrepreneurs that just like work for the love of it and because they're making something creative and incredible it's going to change the world and it's super fun and it's like you know that idea of the startup before like the four horsemen of the apocalypse <laughs> aka we work <laughs> came and fucked it all up so it's like they've taken the idea of you like i value the fact that you are an artist programmer and you know and then built like silicon valley around it which means that you know there's no place for you to be a trade unionist and yeah. to be like making well, I, I, I love you that kind of stifling your individuality right. and your creative it's, like, but it's kind of enforced casualness that is as formal as making you wear like a suit and tie to the office every day is so much more irritating though. oh my god yeah like sit on the fucking beanbag <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love I I love to do all of my work just hanging off of a climbing wall in a harness. Um, but it also it also is the case in fashion as well, where so in, in Silicon Valley they commodify this idea of the um, young upstart you know tech entrepreneur, and then you either sort of work on a some crazy startup for selling the backyard, or in fashion they sell the idea of being this bohemian character who is a a cool trendy urbanite who then lives in a rented backyard. 
hard um, <laughs> because their parents are able to pay for them to get like you know a stapler thrown at them every day by an executive who demands <laughs> that his name never be spoken. Yeah, <laughs> whereas if you're actually cool and unemployable or like that, that's being commodified, you don't have a job. You just go on a podcast a couple of times a week <laughs> and talk yeah. absolute shit. Uh, <laughs> um, we're so devoid of any praise whatsoever that we'll just freebase any compliments that we get at work oh, like regardless yeah. of whether we're getting paid or not like if someone throws you a well done you'll just be like oh it's, it's daddy dom shit it's all kink oh, i sure. say this every time but it is everything goes back to feudalism kink the simpsons and dystopian <laughs> yes. science fiction so it's all like what being suffocated underneath the weight of Lido of Lido to Atreides as a sandworm, but you're renting the space and paying by the pound, and he's also your feudal lord. All, all, Pretty so much. It's Warhammer. It's Warhammer. It's just <laughs> yes, Warhammer. That's it's your synthesis Warhammer. of all of this. Is it's just Warhammer. <laughs> it's all just Warhammer. I challenge I challenge you to disprove me. <laughs> Apparently I made an accidental Warhammer reference in the movie. Yeah, you just you, you slipped into a Warhammer reverie. <laughs> okay, I have another I have another intern who's um got some opinions. <laughs> Layla Dar is five years out of college and currently works full-time in public relations, but she started her career slogging through an unpaid internship in fashion, working for an upstart one-woman jewelry company. <laughs> so she signed to like a hedge knight, I guess, or like, yeah, a, like a, a minor baron. If you yeah, will. She's, she's, she served a ronin. Quote, I thought it would be a really good way to get a holistic view of the, uh, how she runs her company. Um, Dar says, but then she was ordered to list and sell her boss's personal items on eBay, <laughs> go to the pharmacy to get change, and regularly travel to the other side of town to deposit personal checks. Sorry, she this is it- the plot of The Devil Wears Prada. Like, you can't <laughs> fool me with this shit. That's a movie. No, no, but, no, but in The Devil Wears Prada, like, she got paid. Ah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, she got, she got paid. She knows. So she, she went through like whatever, but she got paid to do it. Come on, it's mm. a movie. That's the fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the power fantasy of being abused by uh, like an older woman, but you get paid. Right. Um, she gave me vague assignments via email. Then I'd show up to work with questions, but if I verbally asked her any kind of question, she would just ignore me. <laughs> alpha that's alpha <laughs> <laughs> she'd get angry if i quote harassed her with all these questions okay so she's like near a tandon yeah it, yeah pretty much <laughs> <laughs> like, mm, yes um so yeah it, it's very interesting like, have you, you had, had that though have you experienced that what, had an unpaid internship no but like where people like treat you like dog shit or just blank you right like, yes I, I was just thinking back to when you were talking uh, one of my early women's mag uh, internships that I did like 10 years ago when I was like trying to make it big in the city uh, I had to like clean the windows and like hoover the office mm. and I just thought that was like standard mm. but you know what's so fucked now that it's gone full circles yeah. that I mean I'm a freelance journalist I don't do anything but like cry in mind all day obviously but <laughs> people will, like email me now and are like oh can, can I shadow you for free like can I be your intern and I'm yeah. like what is it that you think that you're gonna yeah. do like you're just yeah. all, like do my washing and like organize <laughs> When I was a full when I was a full time writer, most of what I did was just wake up at noon and then be like, I could get another day out of these pajamas. <laughs> Shadowing a freelancer like all about Eve, though, is my favorite part of that. I, don't know, I mean, like I've I, I've had like shitty internships where I've had to like run personal errands and stuff and be treated like shit. But then I also like spent my childhood and my teenage years like working in my family's store for free. Right. Um and also being treated like you're <laughs> but did, did it give you a holistic view of the way that they ran their business? Right. And I'm I, 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 alpha I, to make your kids into interns. I have, yeah. Isn't it? Um, 
wasn't even like, and it was just like, you know, you're like the floor sweeper or the mop, the, 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 the mop well, person. This always brings um, me back to my, my favorite ever um, Donald Trump Jr. quote, which is when he went to, on Howard Stern and Howard was like, come on, give her a shower with your dad. Come on, who's got a bigger one? You or your dad? <laughs> and he was like, mine's pretty big, but I think if I said I had the bigger one that I'd get fired. <laughs> I'd get fired as son for saying my dad doesn't I have, have a bigger dick than so, me. So I, 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 I have a really good related story. So on the magazine that I work for, um, we published a piece the other day about um, the oral history of Bloodsport, the movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme, mm-hmm. which is Donald Trump's favorite movie, except... It transpired that Donald Trump has never actually watched Bloodsport from the beginning to the end. He fast forwards. Yeah. So he only watches the He only watches the TiVo. Yeah, he has the TiVo. He has the presidential cut. Eric Trump was the person who fast forwarded it for him. So he's the better son. No, he's the better son. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he, he will be ritually entombed with his father. Uh, so, and this was like a task that Eric Trump really looked forward to. So he would he actually said in this like all one Jesus, of his friends that's said. Sad. In this that's piece like, what if like, that's the closest thing they ever had to like bonding? Right, exactly, exactly. It was like this is kind what of how just lying about their dad's penis <laughs> and then fast forwarding through the boring parts of a movie. It's fucking so cool. No, and now he's like, by the way, I'm the chosen one. I'm like, he's I fucking love him. He's so yeah. cool. I kind of prefer that though, right? You know, like when you like meet like, I don't know, like proper jobs worthy people, like the train conductor who like wants to see your national rail card when you're on the train and yeah. you're like, um, is your dad the fucking like train company owner? Like, you know, like or when you go yeah, to like yeah. hotels and they're like, I mean, you need to do this. And you're like, uh, like, does your dad own the hotel? Why are you so extra? And it's like, yeah, that would make sense. It's like, Hussein, why are you being so fucking extra about where the Twixes are? Because <laughs> yeah. your dad literally owns the shop. Okay, yeah. cool. This is You're literally the only oh, I was never allowed to actually say where things were. My job was just to dust things, <laughs> clean things. Uh-huh. It's a strict um, division of labor. Yeah. Um, and so then you got into a karate tournament and were disappointed to find out that nothing you learned could actually be applied. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh, fuck. I thought I was a Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> um, so I've got, I've got one, more, um, one more quote, uh, one more sort of intern story here. Michael Lopez started his career interning in a recording studio in 2011 and was forced to confront how cutthroat the, uh, the music business can be. He saw other interns forced to clean grout off the floor and recall the time he had to escort a sex what? worker. How would you get grout? How would you- <laughs> I don't know. Just a tiled floor. Yeah, Everyone loves to have well, one of those. You, there's a lot of grout to be cleaned in the music business. You can always hear when there's grout on a rec- bad grout on a record. <laughs> no, there's um, some good coke in those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just just scooping the cocaine out, right. of the, out of the grout. I didn't uh, even know glass coffee tables had to be grouted, but you just develop these kind of coat gutters after a while so he saw other interns forced to clean grout off the floor and recalled a time he had to escort a sex worker quote that a famous rapper had brought in through the back door because his wife was coming through the front door I damn i can't believe the utah legend the utah state legislature uh, <laughs> go on, that's a deep cut to when they did a rap about how a bill gets passed <laughs> um, i mean i was i was trying to think up a joke about paul uh paul wall uh-huh um okay the well, paul grout yeah, yeah, right. there we go. <laughs> Fuck say it, fuck. Um, <laughs> as an intern, Lopez says, you're expected to do it because you're at the bottom of the pole. He regularly worked 16-hour unpaid days, never took a lunch break, especially when a prominent celebrity was in the studio. Yeah, but how long is the pole and is your dad's longer? <laughs> don't want to get fired. Uh, Lopez's experience was unusual in that his internship actually did convert into a full-time job. And we're going to pause for effect. Briefly. Though the company later terminated his position And hired an intern to do the job for free (laughs) Charlie Brown's position is unusual In that he did get to kick the football 
Briefly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just like the plot to Rudy, right? Rudy does eventually get to play, play football. Briefly. Yeah, mm. absolutely. <laughs> so they just get a lot of free labor of bench warming, and then he gets an attaboy, and you're supposed to be like, yeah, as opposed to this is an extremely unfair football team. <laughs> um, Lopez says, I don't know if I ever felt exploited until being hired and then let go <laughs> to have another intern do my job for free. Uh, <laughs> that's the story of like Donald Trump Sr., uh, Donald Trump Jr., right? Yeah, mm. absolutely. Uh, to he getting was, fired was, and replaced spe- by a more attractive he, son. He was a special boy, then he got pocket money for like fast forwarding through Bloodsport and then, then Eric Briefly. Yeah. <laughs> Briefly, he was the, son, the prominent son. I do believe that it helped a lot of people's careers. It's just so dependent on the companies. There are obviously good companies that don't exploit their interns and bad companies that do. Mm, where? It basically amounts to a lottery of personal degradation to prove your subservience and dedication to a feudal baron, so he gives you back a little bit of the wheat you've harvested. (laughs) (laughs) And here's where it gets kind of cucked. Despite their experiences, Omari, Dar, and Lopez remain supportive of internships in general. Materialism. Well, <laughs> all of these people need materialism. We well, need the they're foam all fingers. putting their real names to something in a business publication. Like it's a kind of a I am being treated oh, well yeah. by my captors type situation. <laughs> right. Yes, right. I love internships. <laughs> someone read. Someone quickly read the first line of every sentence. <laughs> uh, oh, interesting. It's just a chart about linen coats. <laughs> um, it's for the real Marx heads. Uh, so. What needs to change, they said, is the way interns and companies approach them in the first place. Well, uh, one particularly uh, big dick manifesto has an idea about how we can make internships fairer. No, I think it's just uh, we have to respect the boss who is like, do not come within 10 feet of me. I have drawn a chalk circle. Um, I'm doing self-care. Don't to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've anxiety. Yeah. Just um, don't yeah. don't breathe around yeah. me. Like the, the- Jesus Christ, I just think I just thought of something. All of the stupid poor people who are mad at the DSA convention for like not clapping or whatever. There's bosses who do that who are a million times worse. They're just not being quote unquote woke about it and they don't give a shit about them. Yeah, it's almost as though stupid Paul, by ex- by basically focusing on class, the exclusion of everything else, continues to be horrible. <laughs> no, that couldn't be it. That couldn't possibly be it. No, it must be another thing. We're, we're, we must be snowflakes. I welcome another spiked article. Um, <laughs> Labor's 2017 manifesto had this idea, ban unpaid internships. Probably good, as opposed to the Lib Dem manifesto promise to... Um, means test unpaid internships to make sure that kids from certain suburbs of certain cities, if they can do a good TikTok, then get exposure. <laughs> or you look, have, like, look you've Riley, had, like, it sounds good, but you have to be realistic. They're not going to do that. You, you have that doesn't places, sound good. I mean, you have places who are actually trying to get kids into unpaid internships by paying them on behalf of, like, said companies. So, mm-hmm. like, oh, there's, like, this very well-known one that I had applied for and I didn't get. Mm-hmm. A long time ago, and now um, look at you. And now look at me. I, I, I'm, in, I'm in a I'm in, I'm in a basement with various smells. <laughs> um, uh, look, it's your fault you ran out of Lynx Africa. It is my fault for running out. Um, so it, yeah, send me some more. Uh, but yeah, like you know, you know, there's a joke in there, but actually, like 
that is an argument that lots of people advance. Like unpaid internships are inherently. I think it was like again, it was like an IEA or like an ASI, like an Adam Smith Institute. Oh, Brendan person. O'Neill wrote an article that yeah. said people demanding pay because all internships are in media jobs. Right. Only wealthy white people well, like media jobs. It's just wealthy white people they, trying to improve their situation. They right. make, He's the, so cool. They make the same <laughs> argument as like minimum wage people, which is that well, if you force companies to pay their interns, then they'll just reduce the number of internships. It's as if like number one, there was like a number of internships to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's the number that's set by the central the central bank. <laughs> yeah, they'll just automate it, and then they'll have to abuse a robot by throwing a stapler at it, and that's no fun. Right. All the, all the idea that unpaid internships, like if, you know, unless we kind of we like change the internship thing then um, we're not going to have like an equal distribution of, you know, it's like an argument that, oh, really, it's like the middle class that are hurt the most because they can't, you know, because they, they actually have to use their money to like do to and from. Um, both of which like stupidly, you know, very weak arguments. But also uh, like an yeah. industry based on unpaid internships just sets yourself up to have a whole workforce that are financially illiterate and don't know how to unionize. Because mm. right, mm. right, which is like the story to. of media right now. Right, yeah. and I'd love like, to have a reserve army of labor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's yeah. like that's where you see. And also, like you know, I, I guess it, maybe it's a generational thing, but it's like a lots of young people that I speak to, and when I'm saying young, I mean like year 11s in like secondary school. The idea of like being anywhere for a really long time is like a fallacy. So it's like right. this sort of like transient moments that you're like, I'll take a month here, I'll take a week there, I'll take a month there, and I have lots of experience. I think yeah. there's like that is actually built into it because then yes. you've got a longer yeah, yeah. CV. So it's yeah. like if you take this idea of like I've worked project to project mm. influencer model. Yeah. Then it kind of looks good, but I mean, of course you haven't really I, done anything I, for a long time. Can I make it one thing before we go? Yeah. Because I was like, I, I padded out my CV the other day because mm-hmm. I was applying for something, mm-hmm. and I so realized everyone says that you need a long CV, but my, my, actually you need a thick CV. My, this <laughs> podcast is going on my CV. Yeah. <laughs> my, 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 my my LinkedIn profile. I mean, you joke, but actually, like Trash Future is on my own CV. <laughs> 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 uh, you know, but like. You know, I realized I, I Hussein's future employer. <laughs> it's, it's actually it's actually a very smart media company. Um, anyway, uh, I realized that like during the years that I was quote unquote coming up in like you know the media world, like I did a bunch of these unpaid internships. So edging, I believe it's called right, <laughs> ribbing around the edges of Fleet Street. Um, I you know and I was doing like you know the month long unpaid internship, for The Observer, and then like going off to the New Statesman, and then doing this, 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 and this. And when you look at it on a CV form, like. There was this part of me that's like, oh, wow, that looks so impressive. You've worked in so many places. And then I took a step back and I was like, well, number one, it didn't really get me any of the things I wanted to do. It, it didn't yeah, achieve, you're in a basement. It didn't achieve its goals. Um, but moreover, like, you know, it just hits your point directly, which was that I, I've always come into the media world with this idea that, like, I'm not going to stay in one place forever. Mm-hmm. And that naturally it's like, you know, employment generally is like precarious. Right. Mm-hmm. So you should always be on your toes and you should always be looking for the next thing because you never know when a company is just going to like let you go. And the unionization thing was a really interesting thing because when... Um, a, a very famous digital media company whose name I'm not allowed to mention for NDA reasons. Another thing that we should talk about at some mm. point. Mm. Yeah, um, when you used to work for Nine Gag. Yeah, when I used to, yeah, when I, when I used to work for E-Bomb as well. Yeah. Um, uh, it's uh, our NDA episode where we don't discuss anything for an hour. When, when, um, Hussein, when Hussein was the uh, was the society editor at Newgrounds. I was about to fucking make a Newgrounds joke. When, when, when the whole like, unionization push was happening there, 
like one of the reasons why it failed was because you had like a workforce of young people that were like oh guys we don't need to unionize because this place is such a great place they pay us so much more than anywhere else we could go to and they give us so many more benefits so why there's, a, there's a slide even those early reports from the vice union mm. discussions really early on people were like well i'm not gonna like harm my future career prospects yeah. to try and unionize i'm only gonna be here for a few months yeah like, and then mm. you've got like guys like the guy who runs barstool sports who will now like who, when we're now at this place where it's like well, if you kind of openly talk about unionization, not only am I going to fire you, but I'm going to put a black mark on your record right. so you can never get employed again. At least he is being uh, investigated by the National Labor Relations Board yes. for those tweets. Yeah. So, silver lining. Uh, his, his, barred, his, those his, are some barred his, out tweets. His, his stupidity like got him, but... Yeah. Hey, we, we can only rely... We can rely on two things, and that is the solidarity of the workers and the abject stupidity of the bosses. <laughs> um, but... I believe we are we are running a bit long, so it only yep. falls to me now to thank all of you listening, to thank you, uh, Kieran, for coming down oh, today. Thank you. Um, and to thank you all for subscribing to our sweet, sweet Patreon. Um, you know, we still have we, we, we still have we still have shirts. We don't have any in the big sizes or the small sizes, which leads me to conclude that everyone who listens to this podcast is at least fifty percent of a master blaster relationship. <laughs> <laughs> So, normies, I know you're listening. Get out here. Are you, all you MLs. Yeah, all the MLs. Like, all, the, all the MLs. Order some M's and L's. All you Master Blasters, also, if you've you, already got shirts. Once, once we finish this t-shirt round, we've got like another one in like the works. Right? Oh, yeah, we so, have ideas. We have, so, we have, yeah, we have ideas. In between the giant foam finger that says marks and the giant foam finger that just says read Grundrisse. <laughs> yeah, I want to I make a basketball shirt where the number is just infinity and the name is Epstein. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> it's for the it's for the, no it's for my new XFL team. The, okay. the, the little St. James, uh, you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. You fill in the rest of the gag. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm hungry. I didn't sleep very well last night. I'm going to bed. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Okay. Bye.